Today we get to return back to our study of the Gospel of Mark. You know, and, and the other thing that's happening soon on Tuesday is when all the Bible studies begin focusing on that similar, a similar passage of Scripture. And so if you're looking for an entry point, an opportunity to engage in Bible study, uh, one of the groups, either in the morning, on Tuesday, or in the evening, um, are, are a great way to get started in studying God's Word with other people. Um, they invite questions of what they read in Scripture. Uh, they give opportunity for you to share what you observe and what you notice in there. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful opportunity to engage in study uh, with people looking at a particular piece of scripture. So you're invited to join in with those groups on Tuesday. Now as we return to the Gospel of Mark, we're, we're starting partway through. You know, up to this point, we've been introduced to this guy named John the Baptist. This is the same John that uh, we read about during our Advent series, the John that was promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth, the John that was to prepare the way for the Messiah, the John that was only born, you know, several months before Jesus. And now through several chapters in Mark, we've been able to highlight Jesus and his authority that he has shown that he has. Authority that he's shown through healing people. Authority that he's shown... Uh, by restoring the lives of those who have been impacted by impure spirits controlling their bodies, and also his authority in how he was teaching and how he was beginning through his teaching to, to open up the path of salvation, not just for Israelites, but also for those who were on the outside looking in, those who would have been kept on the outside by those who were in power, the religious leaders of the day. During these first eight chapters, you could say, there was a growing tension then developing between Jesus and those Pharisees, those teachers of the law. Now, when we last left the book of Mark in chapter 9, Jesus had shown a few of his disciples uh, and transfigured before him, showing him, showing them his glory. And as Jesus and these disciples came down from the mountain. They, that tension came to the forefront as he, he came to the rest of his disciples, and they were all arguing with the teachers of the law. Now we pick up the story in Mark 9, and we're going to start at verse 30. Uh, students, if you have your Bibles, it'll be page 1,231, and I neglected to check what... Uh, page is in the Black Bible, so we'll give you, what? 829, thanks, Ruth. And so we'll begin at verse 30, and we're going to go through 37 this morning. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about 
on the road. But they kept quiet because on their way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. That's where we're going to stop the reading this morning. Jesus, once again, is seeking out a place where no one would know where he and his disciples were. This is not the first time he tried seeking out a place where people wouldn't know who he was. If you recall back in the first section of our study, they, they traveled way kind of out of the way to Tyre and Sidon in hopes to find this place where no one would know who he was, and yet this Syrophoenician woman figured out who he was. Now again, Jesus is seeking out these spaces where where he'll be alone with the disciples. And that's because Jesus is beginning to set his intention on what is to come and the teaching that he shares with the disciples in this particular instance shows that he wants his disciples to not be surprised by what is to come. This is not the first time that Jesus is sharing about the upcoming death. It's actually the, the second time. He says, Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And after three days he will rise. Jesus actually changes some of the details that he gives in the second time. We'll, we'll go look at the first time, which happens in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He will be killed, and after three days, rise again. And now, he says that he will be delivered, delivered into the hands of men. Jesus, in giving this new information and saying that the Son of Man is going to be handed over. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be essentially betrayed. A new detail that he gives and a new detail that still perhaps causes silence among the disciples. Even though they're, they're hearing this for the second time that the Son of Man is going to be killed, and after three days rise, they, they choose not to, to say anything in response this time. Perhaps the disciples remember what happened to Peter the last time Peter said something to Jesus. Peter said that he, Peter actually rebuked Jesus. He's saying, Lord, this isn't going to happen. You're not going to die. Perhaps the disciples want to stay silent because they don't want to be called Satan like Jesus did to Peter. 
perhaps they stayed silent because even though Jesus shared about this suffering Messiah now two times, they had no concept in their mind that there was going to be a suffering Messiah. The two things just didn't compute together and it, it just didn't work in their minds. The disciples likely didn't think that such a fate would would befall the Messiah, the one whom they had waited years and years, hundreds of years to arrive. Or perhaps they stayed silent because they had noticed that Jesus would often teach at two different levels. There would be this surface level meeting, but there would be this meeting under, underneath, and, and maybe they were searching for that secondary meeting. When Jesus talks about a suffering Messiah dying and then rising again in three days, there, there must be a, some secondary meaning that Jesus is getting at, because surely there, there wouldn't be this suffering Messiah that dies. That's that's not what's going to happen. And so maybe they're staying silent, trying to think about what that meaning could be. And yet, here Jesus, he wasn't speaking in some hidden and veiled language. He was plainly speaking about what was going to happen The disciples are perhaps having a decoding error. Maybe it's like you have a, a friend of yours that you've known for so long, years, and you, you always know that they're really sarcastic. And everything that they say or the, the way that they joke is with twinges of sarcasm. And then they say something else, and you don't know whether you need to take them seriously, that they're, what they're saying is plain, or whether it's a, a sarcastic statement that meant, is meant to be taken as a joke. You would perhaps have a decoding error, trying to figure out what it is they're truly trying to say, and the disciples here are, are having that error, thinking there's got to be some deeper meaning and for the disciples, it, it only increases, perhaps, their confusion. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Mark, says this. This, perhaps, is an invitation to us to ask the question, how good are we listening? He says, we can not only sympathize with the disciples, but we must ask ourselves whether we do the same thing. When God is trying to say something to us, how good are we at listening? Is there something in scripture or something we've heard in church or something we sense going on around us through which God is speaking to us? And if so, are we open to it? He continues, are we prepared to have our earlier ways of understanding things taken apart so that new ways of understanding can open up instead. That's perhaps what Jesus is doing with this new teaching, not entirely new for the disciples the second time they've heard it, but their minds must 
be opened up to the possibility that God would send a Messiah to suffer instead of sending a Messiah to overthrow the kingdoms of the world. And we kind of see how the disciples missed the point. They missed the point the first time, and, and now they're going to miss the point the second time. Because instead of thinking about this suffering Messiah, they're only thinking about a kingly Messiah, and they, they begin, begin being concerned with their own status. Perhaps they're concerned about what's in it for us. Perhaps they're concerned about what prestige will befall them because, well, they were the first ones to start following Jesus. Surely, surely if, if they were the first ones that there would be some glorious positions that they would be able to occupy when Jesus begins his kingdom. If Jesus is Messiah, then, then the disciples may be thinking, well, then we're, we're like royalty. And the disciples, they're silent when they hear Jesus share about the suffering Messiah, and they're silent once again as they get to Capernaum. Jesus, he asks them, what were you arguing about on the road? And they returned to that silence, didn't they? Because they weren't thinking about the suffering Messiah. They were just thinking about that royalty, that kingship, that huge kingdom that was going to be. And they were going to think about who of the disciples, which one of us twelve is the greatest. It's interesting the silence that happens in this passage. The silence begins with the disciples, but then as they're walking to Capernaum, it doesn't talk about Jesus really sharing anything or, or speaking much. Instead, now Jesus is the one who's walking in silence, walking in silence towards what he know is com knows coming. Walking in silence towards Jerusalem, walking in silence towards his sacrificial death. All the while, while he walks in silence, he hears the clamoring of arguments going on. Arguments about which disciple is the greatest. Arguments where the disciples are jockeying for position each wanting to be honored by following that liberating Messiah. This question that Jesus asks them about what they're arguing about shows their mindset that will actually continue on into the future. When the disciples, they're all seated, at, seated uh, for the Passover, this mindset of of being greater than one another still continues. It's Peter. And and they're talking about how how people are falling away and are gonna stop maybe 
following Jesus. And, and Peter's like, even if all of them fall away, even if all the other 11 fall away, Lord, I won't. I'm greater than the others. I will never fall away. The disciples, they just, they won't have their mind on the right spot. Jesus plainly speaking to them about the suffering Messiah, and they've just been missing. They want to continue establishing this hierarchy, this kingdom of power for themselves. They want this power like, like they're entitled to it by divine right. They were the first ones to start following Jesus, then, man, they should have some benefit, shouldn't they? They might be thinking. And when you have this mindset where you're thinking about who's the greatest, you, you sometimes begin having this mindset of, of power. Power that it's, it's yours to control how this thing goes about. And you'll actually see it if we went on and read just a few more verses you would see it in how the disciples came across this unnamed guy. And this unnamed guy was casting out impure spirits in the name of Jesus, liberating people that they may experience life through Jesus. And they said, Lord, we found this person and we told him to stop because he was not following us. I find that passage being interesting when the Jesus reprimand this man and they say he was not following, not you, Jesus. He was not following us. Putting themselves somehow in the picture, trying to make themselves great. And in this passage, they're not going to get it. And they keep arguing about who is the greatest. And it might cause them to miss the whole point. You know, in, in the 1200s, there was this Mongolian emperor. And he actually asked the Christian church in Rome to send 100 people so that his great court could learn about Christianity. And, and what resulted in, in the following years was, was not this new wave of understanding for this Mongolian emperor and his great court. Instead, uh, what resulted was Christians began to fight with each other. The leaders of the day, arguing about who should go, why they should go, what they should teach, how things should be done. 28 years later, they're still infighting about who and why and what. And not a single person had made it to the great court to teach the Mongolian emperor and all his officials about Christ. And the opportunity for discipleship was gone because of 
infighting of essentially who's the greatest, who should go. And the emperor, he said, don't worry about it now. I am fully set in my ways. You don't need to send in one anymore. Hmm. The difficulty that comes with thinking so highly of ourselves is that we desire to control. We see it in that passage where the disciples tell this guy to stop Stop casting out demons in the name of Jesus. You're not one of us. But we can see it within church, too. Like that in the 1200s with the Mongolian Emperor. When we perhaps can get in the way because of some perception of greatness, because of perhaps some perception of importance. We get in the way of the message of Christ spreading. The message of Christ coming into people's lives and doing what it was meant to do, liberating them. And yet, even though Jesus likely knows the disciples don't get it, that he's going he's gonna to choose to then continue to try to, to teach them where true greatness actually lies. He's going to continue to try to imprint his kingdom heart into the hearts of the disciples. And so Jesus, he's, he sits down having perhaps just heard about them arguing about who was the greatest, he says, oh, not that one. There we go. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant of all. If we look at the life of Jesus, he, he never was one who self-exalted. He was not one that said, go tell everybody what's happened because I want to make my name great. Every now and then, maybe he said that once, but he didn't say the great part. He said, go tell your family all that has happened to you. Right? Or otherwise, when he did miracles, he said, don't tell anyone. Jesus, the miracles he did was not for his own glory, but it was to show the work of God here in the world that God would receive glory. And now, he says, if you want to be first, you are very, you must be very last. You must be a servant of all. And he, he grabs a child. Maybe not grabs them, but notices one, calls one over as he's sitting down. Taking the child, placing it among the people, right among the disciples, and then 
and taking the child in his arms. And says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Jesus, he isn't he isn't pointing out a, a child as the model of humility. If I think back to my childhood, the younger I was, the more certain I was that I was right. I probably wasn't the most humble child. In fact, the older you get, that's when you start realizing that you know less and less and less. So Jesus wasn't marking out this child as a model of humility, but what he was trying to point out is the difference between his kingdom and the world. Because Jesus' kingdom valued children. And the world really didn't. Children had no power. Children, they had no status. Children, they had very few rights. No one would really pay attention to a child and what a child said. They were unimportant in that day and age. Why would you why would you give your time to someone like a child? They wouldn't provide any benefit for you. They really weren't able to help gather and get food for the family. They weren't able to make money. They weren't able to really do anything. The children, much like today, these children were in a highly vulnerable position. They couldn't provide for themselves. They didn't have any way to give benefit to those who cared for them. And Jesus chooses one of these, one of these little children, in a lowly, humble, insignificant, often overlooked position and says, invite one of these and you invite me. Invite one of the people that, that don't have any influence. Invite one of the, the people that seems to always be deprioritized. Invite the people that are socially invisible. Invite the people who are on the fringes. Invite the people that no one listens to. If you want to be great, if you want to be first, start by serving and welcoming. Put yourself in a position to be a humble servant to those who the world thinks you don't need to serve. Put yourself in a position to be a servant of all. By serving those who don't have anything to offer. 
by serving those who are unable to advocate for themselves. Because in God's kingdom, these, these little ones, the insignificant, the overlooked, the socially invisible, the ones on the fringes, the ones that no one wants to listen to, all these little ones are important. In the eyes of the Lord, they're not insignificant. In the eyes of the Lord, they are significant. Just like we would probably say there's no insignificant family member. And just as Paul would perhaps go on to say that there's no insignificant church member that we all have gifts and we're all in need of each other. There's no insignificant person. And real greatness is about not caring about the people who are important, but just caring about people. Simply people. Be a servant of all. Find more ways to care for people, to care for students. To make them feel like each student has a voice and something important to share in the group. To make them feel that there are adults who care for them deeply. To find more ways to, to care in our community, in our neighborhood. Like on Tuesday nights, where expecting moms or moms with small children are in, invited to come and instead of being met with scorn they're met with love and care they're met with support and encouragement perhaps we could find more ways to tangibly care for those who are experiencing housing insecurity Find more ways to care for the families that are going to be calling this place home this week. A servant of all to find more ways to encourage the financially vulnerable. To, to teach them, perhaps. Teach them how best they may use what the Lord has given them in ways that are productive for them. To empower them from whatever position they're in. Not to, not to lord over them, but to walk alongside. To give empowerment. Just as the Spirit works within us to empower us, God in, invites us as a servant of all to walk alongside those who don't have a voice, not to speak for them, but to amplify their voice so they're not seen as insignificant, they're not seen as one who has nothing to share. So we can ask ourselves as a church body, how well, how well are we listening? How well are we listening 
to those opportunities that the Lord gives us? How is it that in this new year, 2024, how are we going to begin to listen further? And not just listen, but be like Christ and in, invite one of these little ones over, those who can't advocate for themselves, and prop them up so they can't. How will we this year go on to express the love and care to people who don't feel loved or cared for? Because if we receive one of these, we read that we receive Jesus. And not just Jesus, but the one who sent Let's pray together. Father, your, your kingdom is not like other kingdoms. So often we prioritize the powerful. The powerful are the, the ones who are seen. They're the ones stories are written about. They're the, the ones that get the airtime on TV. And yet, we say, if we truly want to be great, we don't look for more airtime. We don't look for stories to be written about us. Instead, we look to be servants, just as Christ was a servant. Open our ears, Lord, that we may attune our ears to hear those who feel unheard. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may truly see those who feel unseen. Work within our church, work within your church globally that we may advocate for those who feel unseen, feel unheard, and feel insignificant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.